Hello, Brain Allies. You're listening to Brains Out Loud, where we talk about important topics surrounding mental health, from our personal life to our work life and everywhere in between. Our goal is that through these conversations, we can help others prioritize mental health on an equivalent level to physical health. Today, we are here with actor, activist, and fitness enthusiast, Nick Matthews. Born and raised in Teaneck, New Jersey, the New York City native, studied at Rutgers University and the William Esper School of Acting before continuing his education with master classes at Beverly Hill Playhouse East. He has gone on to appear in several television shows and films, including In Between Men and The Mysteries of Laura, and he's currently working on two new films, Heather and Diary, which will be released soon, Matthew starts 2021 with another professional milestone with the release of an imperfect murder. Today, we are going to have an authentic conversation with Nick about domestic violence and the impact that it has on mental health. Nick, thank you so much for being with us here today and your willingness to discuss this difficult topic. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Juliet. And I really love uh, the conversations that we've had regarding mental health and really hope that this can, you know, foster more conversations around it and normalize these experiences. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So before I ask you to discuss your experiences with domestic violence, can you give our listeners a definition of domestic violence, whether formal or informal, and share some examples of what domestic violence might look like? Sure. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, a formal definition uh, from Oxford defining domestic violence as violent or aggressive behavior within the home, typically involving the violent abuse of a spouse or partner. Um, I'd like to add or, um, or children to that uh, sentence. And I found uh, a more elaborate definition on uh, the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institutes of Health that further defined violence um, into three categories, being self-directed, interpersonal, or collective. And they uh, define abuse or violent abuse as physical, sexual, psychological, or involving deprivation or neglect. And um, this can look like a lot of different things. I mean, uh, for, for me, I think, you know, it's, it's very obvious in my experience to recognize physical abuse, um, even sexual abuse, but the mental abuse, I think, um, wasn't as easy to define uh, for me. And recognizing that things like uh, I guess mind games or um, sort of a uh, an attack on someone's character or esteem can be in forms of verbal abuse or um, or trying to like take away a sort of an incentive so or, or like in, in terms of like a punishment where it wasn't warranted. And I think for me as a child, like trying to understand that wasn't as easy to label, um, but yeah. Yeah, that, you know, that's a great way to, to explain domestic violence, not only in terms of the definition, but also what it can look like. Because I think that when people think domestic violence, they often think physical abuse, right? 
Correct. Um, it's so important that you mentioned that this also includes, you know, sexual abuse, but also emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. And emotional abuse can be so deteriorating on one's sense of self-worth. And the way that that carries with you for the duration of your lifetime can be very extreme um, and detrimental in terms of progress. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that and brought that up. What has your experience with domestic violence been growing up? Well, um, so in my household, my father was the abuser. And uh, I mean, as early as I can remember, uh, seeing him uh, physically hit my mother, um, you know, the first memory I have is watching him, you know, throw uh, a cake on the kitchen floor and pushing her down and making her clean it up. And, you know, my brother and I were just standing there watching and crying and kind of stunned. Um, and, you know, that became sort of normal. Um, an expression growing up, it's like, don't make daddy mad. You know, that was like a thing. Uh, when he was home, it was like walking on eggshells. You never knew what you were gonna get. Sometimes we would prepare and plan for the worst and he was in a good mood that day. Um, or days that, you know, you were supposed to be celebrating. There was a time that we had uh, a birthday party for my brother and there were a bunch of parents and adults in one room, kids were in another room. And my father was actually studying at the time, uh, believe it or not, for it to be an RN. <laughs> and uh, we were interrupting with his studying. So he, you know, physically abused my brother in front of everyone there. Uh, the parents didn't see, but that was sort of normal in our family. So having people over in high school was like a no-no. Um, I always wanted to like go out. It affected, it affected me in ways that when you're in this, this sort of unhealthy uh, atmosphere, this, you know, this, this sort of like hellhole, <laughs> you want to get out. And so what I did is I really put all my attention and focus into school. I knew I wanted to go to college uh, and my father went to uh, college very late in life. So I would be like one of the first kids going to college in our family. And so I would go to uh, school around 7.15 in the morning. I was involved in every kind of extra extracurricular that you could name. I mean, I was uh, involved in student council, uh, I was the president of Help the Homeless Club. I ran varsity track. I was a part of the high school musical. I um, was a peer leader, a peer mediator. Um, a, uh, I mean, kind of like tried to be a role model for other people. And during this time, I also started volunteering at a shelter for uh, battered women and children at the time in their safe house, working, uh, tutoring uh, kids. And so for me, it was just getting out or being, being at home as little as possible. That didn't shield me completely from everything, but it definitely, I avoided a lot of situations because I knew that if I came home 
at like six thirty seven, dinner would be over and he'd probably be passed out sleeping. So I knew the rest of the night would be like easy. And so, um, I mean, that's how I dealt with it then. I don't know if that's really answering the question. Um, but I know that that is how it affected me at the time. And then obviously, you know, in our last conversation, you don't realize the effects of abuse until you start becoming an adult and start seeing patterns or things like communication. A lot of the arguments around with my parents were lack of communication. I also want to say that I think, you know, rage issues. So this inability to articulate yourself and how you feel, I definitely, two things. I think as a kid being in this situation and not wanting to have this sort of confrontation, you have, you develop a, an ability to smooth things over and to be on top of everything and to, you know, to the best of your power, avoid a confrontation. And I think that that carried on later in life because I feel like when, when difficult situations would happen and I'd be angry, there was, a, I'd monitor myself. Like I shouldn't, because as a child looking at my father, it's like, well, th those are rage issues and that's not good. And as opposed to where I'm like you later, develop yourself into like a full adult, you recognize that you're entitled to your feelings of rage. You're entitled to be angry, but it's how you express them. And it's what you do with them. So instead of say bottling it up and then uh, essentially, you know, lashing out at people, um, you develop communication skills to articulate how you're feeling and to set up boundaries in a healthy, you know, way. Um, so I think, you know, in my 20s and stuff, I didn't really have that ability to, when someone would say, do something or I'd be in a situation that was uncomfortable, I didn't want to make it uncomfortable for you. So I would pretend that everything was fine. Meanwhile, I'm not happy in a, a certain situation or something might have been harmful to me or, um, or just didn't make me feel good. But I didn't have a way to express that. And, and I didn't feel entitled to assert myself in that way but what ended up happening is that then like i sort of self-abuse so um and being upset like why didn't i speak up for myself or why didn't i do that you know um so yeah i mean therapy has helped sort of deal with the initial trauma of of being in uh, in that situation in an abusive household for you know 18 years but then also recognizing all of those feelings that come up with being abused and violated. And, and once you heal and deal with what that is like, it's like, okay, well, we've, we've dealt with the source of the pain, but now it's like, how do I evolve as a person? And how do I become a better person? The person that you say in your mind's eye want to be um, because behavior is, is learned. And so to break a cycle of say, being overcritical, or, you know, it, it, it's a constant, I, I feel like a dialogue with yourself. Um, because being critical can help 
with ambition and you know as a, as a type a uh, person personality and an ambitious person you know we we strive for the best but sometimes it's not attainable or realistic and i feel like i developed that sort of mentality really trying to vie for his attention and to be to to say hey look i did good you know and that's not healthy, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's not, you know, a, a parent's love should be um, unconditional. It shouldn't be based on getting the A on the report card or hitting a home run or, you know, things like that. Um, but those things really did like, you know, plague me for a while because it's like, I thought that that was the thing in the way of being loved, you know? Yeah, I'm really glad you touched upon the way that your relationships with your father and your experience with domestic violence have impacted your communication skills because it's that relationship with others that I think is altered as a result of our negative experiences in life, right? Whether it be an experience mm -hmm. with mental illness, whether it be experience with sexual assault, whether it be an experience with domestic violence, I think as much as that pain is internal, and we internalize those experiences and they become difficult for us to cope with on our own in general, they also impact our relationships with others. And at the end of the day, I believe that the reason that we're here to exist is to interact with one another and to seek help and love and, you know, consolement from others. So it's difficult when someone in your early childhood stunts your ability to do so or makes it more difficult for you mm -hmm. to do so um, and some people can take that experience with rage and anger and let it turn them into an angry person and Correct. experience anger at some time so we can't be blamed for feeling anger but it's also interesting to point out that it can also make you afraid to address conflict and afraid to be confrontational and that can be very difficult in terms of seeking out what is comfortable and healthy for you. And I want to backtrack for a moment because yeah, yeah, yeah. you talked about when you were in high school and you were involved in all these different amazing activities and you were doing so much. Do you think that people at school or your friends or the people around you knew what was going on at home or knew that you were struggling or do you think that they no. saw you as this brave outgoing hands-on deck person yeah so i never really talked about it i mean i was very very ashamed of what was happening at home i didn't want people to know um neighbors would hear him screaming like when he'd be you know if we were doing work out in the yard you know the entire block could hear uh if something was wrong um now people at school that was like, I got to leave and sort of, you know, put on like a, a new hat, you know, per se, and be, I, I guess I, I don't know if I, I wanted to be seen as, or I, I don't think I wanted to be seen as like this outgoing sort of like leader uh, personality, but it was really more immediate it was just like i want to get involved in that or yeah i like that and it was just diving into whatever and being open to uh getting involved and and learning like uh, about you know uh, certain causes or issues that were going on and by doing that i guess possibly people could perceive me as that but i 
definitely conscientiously hid um, what was going on at home. So, uh, and I, I wanted to say something to what you were saying uh, about um, how this affects uh, behavior, because one thing like with the, like the rage aspect, seeing that at home, I can identify and say, you know, that's not good. That's not healthy. You know, it's interesting to see that I went to the extreme end to not want to get in touch with anger. Like it was a bad, like that emotion was bad, say. But when it ended, what ends up happening, or at least for me, is that you kind of like, for instance, I, I would get in, I'd have relationships that were tough toxic and didn't recognize that I was in sort of abusive relationships. Um, and I'm not talking about intimately, but even just in terms of friends, like the way people talk to you or the way people are like, uh, you know, always have a, a, a snide comment or um, kind of making fun of you and just took it until one day I blow up and then all of a sudden it's like, I can't even, I don't even re recall what I said because it was like, I saw red. So that was like, and that that one, this one instance I'm talking about was like around 24, 25. And I was like, whoa, like after I, you know, lashed out at someone, I was like crying afterwards because I was like, I cannot believe no matter what this person's done, that that instance doesn't warrant that sort of, behavior and i think the work that i was had to do was in terms of communication is that all could have been avoided had it been addressed earlier or recognizing that this isn't a healthy relationship and this person's trying to um uh, wield a certain power over you and instead of me recognizing you know what that's not for me i continued in it you know what i mean so then it's like it, it, the pressure sort of just built up and when I realized, oh, wow, I'm becoming the person that he was, that's when it was really, uh, for me, a matter of, okay, not dealing, like after you move past dealing with um, the actual events of trauma, it's like, okay, now how do we fix behavior? Like, how do, how do, we, how do we not let ourselves in this position again? And what are the things that I can do to sort of modify that? Absolutely. And I think that understanding our emotions is so difficult. And I don't think that we were taught from a young age how to navigate our emotions properly. And I think that's a result of our parents not being taught how to navigate their emotions and so on and so forth. So emotional health and how it pertains to mental health have collaboratively been this issue where Nobody told us like, it's okay to feel angry, but this is how you deal with feeling angry. No one right. told us it's okay to feel sad, but this is how we work through sadness. This is how we mourn loss. This is how we grieve. And here are tools to grieve. And as a result, we've built up this emotional pain within us. And because we're all different, it comes out of us in all different ways. Absolutely. And because we all react differently to different circumstances, then it becomes hard to navigate what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. 
And so it's just, in my opinion, this ongoing cycle of miscommunications and lack of education and this stunt in understanding and progressing from our trauma and our pain and finding ways to take that pain and turn it into purpose or to deal with it. Right. So what I would, what I would love to know is how have you taken your pain and turned it into purpose or how have your experiences with domestic violence and mental health impacted you in your career, in your life, in your relationships in a positive way, if there is a silver lining and it's okay if there's not. Um, No, that's a great question. And it is all connected. Um, So let me start with, um, I'm blessed to be able to be in a creative field. And, you know, I remember, I recall like one of the uh, first teachers I ever had at the Esper Studio said, you know, as artists, as actors, we get to turn our shit into gold. And like, it's kind of like, oh, that's a really crass statement. But when you think about it, when we draw upon these various experiences for a role or to um, express a certain emotion in the depths that we have to dig from our emotional library, um, we can use that pain and that trauma for a, a good purpose. And hopefully, when people draw upon these experiences for a, you know, a riveting emotional scene, hopefully people talk about it. Hopefully it sparks conversations. Hopefully it's more than just entertainment. Uh, Although, you know, we strive to entertain, but it's also, are we pushing dialogue forward? Are, you know, I remember one of the first plays uh, I saw in in New York was a play with um, Mark Ruffalo called, um, uh, this is our youth. And I was just so blown away by it that it was like, I had to take my mom to see it. And, you know, we went out to dinner afterwards and we just talked for like two hours about all the issues in it. So that's really what I'm hoping to, uh, or what I strive to do with work that I'm pick- I choose to do or um, uh, characters that I play. Um, but how has it, how has uh, mental health say had an impact on me as a human being. I think I, you know, I said earlier that you know I'm kind of like committed to uh, therapy and different types of therapy. I mean, I know we discussed on one of our calls like we're really, you know, uh, cognitive behavioral uh, therapy and trying to change and modify behavior or learn behaviors or uh, behaviors that we've built up as a defenses and recognizing that that might not be the desired response and how do we work through that um i also know that like being in the industry that i'm in that's also incredibly traumatizing in itself so uh, taking someone who has zero uh history with domestic violence or uh you know abuse it's an abusive industry by nature, right? So to protect your ego and your self-esteem and, you know, it's an industry where it's like 99 no's before you get a yes. 
And so much of it just comes down to literally what you look like, what you look like. And I mean, that's, that's, that's damaging because so many people say, well, don't take it personal. You know, like every, every time you, if you take any audition class, they'll say, don't take it personal. You know, if you don't get it on to the next. Okay. But you didn't, you're not disclosing the tools on how to do that because I just spent three days getting off book and emotionally prepping for this. And I had a five minute audition and now it's over, but how do you just forget about it? Obviously, you know, if you want to book work and every actor does, we're staring at the phone and is it going to ring? Am I getting a call back? Am I getting, you know, and putting so much attention on it. It's like, Oh, well, you're just not the right type for it. So what does that mean? You're telling me, okay, not to take a personal, but then I'm not the right type. So what is the right type? And what about my look isn't the right look, you know? And as a young actor, you know, trying to navigate the business, it's like, oh, well, should I get my teeth fixed? Or should I, you know, do this? Or should I do that? And, and, and this is the industry not related to someone coming from sort of like a, a, a violent past or I guess sort of somewhat broken. So now if you have this sort of broken person in this abusive industry, it's like, it, it's this cycle that just doesn't stop. And I feel like therapy has been... Um, you know, a, a necessary thing, a necessary tool to discuss this. I also think having really great role models in my life, I've, I've always had pretty amazing, stellar sort of people that I can call out to. And I wouldn't call, call them friends. I, I really do say role models slash mentors because they're not like friends, um, but they are people who, uh, with a wealth of knowledge that I can call upon and and discuss, you know, issues that I'm experiencing. So I, I have to like give credit to those people. And and then the, the work that I've just done on myself and how I've changed my behavior. So, you know, one of those things that I've modified is like, I've gotten really into health and fitness and the foods I eat. And I know that now when I get angry, I work out. I use the anger to physically exhaust it from my body. Um, and I feel like that is a much healthier way to express yourself. I mean, anger can be very motivating, um, if you put it towards sort of like, uh, pushing yourself forward versus stewing in the mental loop that we, uh, find ourselves in, you know, like, in and I say mental loop in terms of, we all get stuck in a certain thinking and, and that thinking evolves from your formative years as a child. And so, you know, as opposed to seeing people say deal with um, loss or death, I can look around everyone in my family and it's like, what do people do? Drink. And you, you learn this behavior and then you recognize, okay, well, it doesn't really take the sorrow and pain away. And so what can I do differently? And so it's like, I want to feel good. And I feel good when I exercise. I feel like it releases endorphins. I feel like it boosts self-esteem. I feel like when my body, when I feel good in my body, I have a better um, uh, cognitive function. I also then, and like those two things combined, it's like it uplifts the spirit. So instead of say, drinking pain away it's like i want to physically like exercise like the, it, out of my body um 
and those are things that I've had to learn, you know, uh, well, basically, you know, trial and error, what doesn't work? And you find out like, yeah, that's not really working so much for me. What else can I do? You know? Yeah. You spoke about, you know, going to an audition and I've, I've done, um, so I'm going to start over. You've spoke about your experiences with auditioning and working in the performance industry. And I have had conversations with other actresses and models and actors who have said very similar things. And someone once said to me, you know, think about a job interview. Think about preparing for a job interview. And, you know, typically say you're going to a sales job interview, you just have to remember your experience. You want to talk about your personality, who you are as a person. You hope that they like you and they see your potential on your resume. And that hopefully will be enough, right? But he's like, now imagine having to memorize lines, having to bring emotion into it, having mm -hmm. to make yourself vulnerable. And then you have that anxiety of performance. And then right. when you work through the performance anxiety, they tell you that your eyes aren't the right color. And right. you can't change the color of your eyes. So now what do you do? Or you're too short and you right. can't get taller. So now what do you do? And it makes an impact on your self-esteem, not only through your experiences and your ability to grow, but simply how you were born and how you were presented to society despite anything that you had a part of contributing to, right? And mm -hmm. I can relate in a different way, which is that, you know, my whole life, I wanted to go to fashion school. When I was seven, I decided when I grew up, I was going to be a fashion designer. I was dead set on it. My parents were like, no, you're going to be a lawyer. You love fighting everybody and arguing. <laughs> you're great at arguing. You got to go to law school. That's what you're going to do. And I was like, no, I'm going to be a fashion designer. I'm 100% positive. And I went to fashion school. And something that I loved became work and that was okay because you want to love what you do right but then when that work was broken down in such a negative nitpicky tedious exhausted, <laughs> tedious way it becomes painful and I remember working so hard on my collections and my art pieces and my clothing and sewing and staying up 72 hours, right? Like not sleeping for 72 hours to the point where I was hallucinating in the sewing right. room. Literally yeah. hallucinating. Um, while, you're, while you're operating machinery. <laughs> machinery. I remember putting, it was for my senior collection, and I remember putting fabric through, two different fabrics through the sewing machine and thinking that the two different fabrics were arguing with one another and they were yelling at me to stop and that they didn't want to go through the sewing machine. And I remember being like, oh my God, I am losing my mind. I've, I've never experienced anything like this before, right? And I work so hard and I go and I present the next day and I finally made it through my senior collection. And I have this one professor that used to be so, so, so hard on me and not in a motivating way and not in okay. the... I believe that you can reach your full potential and you're not there yet way, but no, just in like the unhelpful, helpful, mm -hmm. um, just, I believe emotionally abusive way. And I remember getting up and presenting my whole presentation and she was like, to everybody else, she gave feedback. And to me, she was like, you can sit down, no comment. No, this is what you could have done better. No, this is what I liked versus what I didn't like. 
she just said, you can sit down after I poured my heart out and, and just spent months and months right. and months working on this and spent thousands of dollars on the fabric. And it was like all of a sudden something that I believed to be beautiful was not worthy of being identified as beautiful. And being in an industry where you have to use your creative outlet and your own perception of beauty and mindset and emotion and for someone to tell you that that is not worthy of appreciation right. the impact that it has on your self-worth and your confidence and your ability to move on I think is monumental and it's so unfair to be able to tell someone what is beautiful and what is not beautiful you can say something is well done well prepared for well sought out but to tell someone what are, is or is not beautiful um is is just a very difficult world to live in and i know that you live mm -hmm. in that world and um i've lived in that world before and i you know now i have to i had to take a year took a year off of sketching drawing sewing anything didn't touch anything related to art or the fashion industry and now i paint and i love to paint and i just have to be like if i think this is beautiful then that feels good to me and that can be my creative outlet and i don't want to let whether people think of it impacts you know the worth but it's so 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 hard to do so i know we've gotten a little bit off topic but i think like this emotional abuse it, it exists in different industries in different ways and it impacts us so severely so well I I, to, to continue what you're saying to bring it back i think that handling that moment that you had that you experienced where it was like you can sit down now that is what auditioning is that moment it, it's over and over again the difference is is that she gave feedback to everyone else except you now imagine no one gets feedback so this is just you're going through audition after audition after audition and you know it's like my agent was saying hey listen there's like three categories of people there i get phone calls from casting when you book the role when someone's like, hey, you know, uh, this person needs help or adjustments or never call the office, never send that actor into this office again. And I'm like, what about just general feedback? Like, yeah, he was great. Just not, you know, he's like, oh yeah, no, we don't do that. Like, like, they don't have time for that. So, you know, you really only find out if you get it or essentially we don't ever want to see that person again, which I mean, you, I don't know on, what earth you would do something so horrible that you could never be seen again but it's kind of like those two categories and everything else in between um you're left to you know your own devices on what you think happened and i feel like that that is where if you don't have the right support system there can be a lot of you know damage in terms of what you think about yourself and, and the dialogue that you have, like you're not good enough, you suck, this, that, like, you know, it's, it's almost like you're abusing yourself and, um, and what that looks like. I mean, in terms of, of how to look, I mean, I remember being so consumed with image and not stepping out of the house until every hair is like perfect. And, you know, um, and what if I see someone and what if I run into someone and, I think with experience and age, you just start getting to a point where, you know, and especially this year, you could look back and say, COVID, wow, you know, 500,000 plus people dead. You really have to start putting things into a different perspective. 
and what is important and what is a what do you want your life to look like and and what what do you value and the industry unfortunately is so much uh so much uh, uh attention is put on a superficial superficial uh aspect that it's only natural for for people to be consumed with it but it's at a certain point you start realizing this is something i do this is a craft this is a tool that I have, but it's not my life. Like my life is how I interact and how I exist with myself, with the others around me. How do other people feel about me? How do I make people feel? And so when you start being mindful of that, it's like, okay, yeah, you didn't get that audition two days ago, but it's a week or two days a week ago, you know, you're not still stewing in it. You're not still like miserable and, and covers over your head. And I don't want to wake up today because you had a bad audition a couple of days ago because you realize in the scheme of life, okay, will there be more auditions? And I think that really comes with experience and, um, and maturity. Uh, absolutely. I just love what you just said. I think it was so beautifully put. And I do think it comes with experience and maturity. And I think that the way that we let things affect us comes through our ability to overcome them at one point in time, right? So mm -hmm. when someone's going through a hard time and when we are teaching people in mental health intervention, how do you intervene? What are some helpful things that you could say if someone's feeling depressed or anxious or whatever it might be is, how have you overcome this in the past? Because if people can remember how they overcame right. something difficult in the past, whether it was through exercising or whether it was through having coffee with a really good friend or having a conversation with a mentor, it's like call that person, you know, go on a run. Let's figure out what we can do that we know will be helpful, even if it feels impossible right now. And so I think it's important to validate people when they are experiencing these things for the first time. And Oh, absolutely. And sometimes people feel them experience them so much later in life. Right. So that's something that's important to pinpoint too, is like, I remember people would get upset about certain things and I would be like, this is so not a big deal. Like you have no idea what's going on in my life. Like, how could you be so upset about this? And right. then I had to learn that it, people really experience things in a different capacity at different times. And um, one of my best friends, Chloe, taught me that. And she taught me that in college because I was, I was angry and I was pissed off and I was miserable. And I remember her being like, some people have never experienced anxiety before. Like some people have never experienced stress or a stressful situation before. Right. So that's why they're reacting more drastically to this. But we've been through this before and, and we know that it happens. So that's how we're going to help them work through it. And that's how we're going to internalize, right. deal with the pain that they're experiencing. And that was so helpful for me. And, you know, I'll always remember that. Um, but I also wanted to ask you, what is your opinion on forgiveness? And what have your experiences with forgiveness been thus far? So that's a good question. Um, I guess it would be specific to, you know, the individual and circumstance. Um, generally, like uh, friends that I have now, you know, I tend to have 
very long lasting relationships. I'm still friends with so many people from high school, like close friends. Um, so I, I, I feel like someone's been around in your life for 25 years. There's almost nothing they can do that like, I can't forgive or understand. Um, but earlier I touched on toxic relationships and starting to recognize when I've been in, in them and certain things you can forgive someone. Let's just take my father, for example, I can forgive him. I recognize, and I knew this growing up that he was abused because his parents abused him. He saw abuse that was worse than what I saw. So in his perspective, he did better. Um, and also at the same time, I can say is stunted and a limited individual because he didn't work on that damage and sort of perpetuated it. So you have someone who is coming from a limited perspective um, and a stunted individual in terms of maturity and um, emotional intelligence. And so, you know, we had a very direct conversation about five years ago and I wanted to acknowledge some of these things and I wrote this email and it really didn't go anywhere. And, you know, when it was when I asked him, you know, did you do these things? And his response was, yeah, taxes in New Jersey were very high and your mother didn't help. And so what do you say to that? And I said, dad, listen, uh, really appreciate you acknowledging this, but until you're ready to apologize and work through some of this, we can't have a relationship. And we don't. Um, I he has too much pride and ego to say he's sorry, and also hasn't really changed. Possibly age has tempered his anger. Um, you know, being like seventy something now. You know, but the snappy one-liners or you know things that could be hurtful to like your career where your position you're in in life or like I don't own a house now so it's like oh you don't you know any sort of way he just normally has casual conversation is not conducive to an open relationship and and having like a feeling like you're not being attacked so it was a really big moment to recognize for me the person I've been striving to garner, to get attention from is never going to give it to me. Never. I'm not going to get it. And when I recognized that, it was liberating. Because then I was able to say, what do I want? And what am I proud of? And to, to really shut out exterior voices that you're doing this for like a, a, an attention or an accolade or, you know, something like that to really 
focusing on what makes me happy and, and knowing that I can forgive him. I understand what happened, but with that forgiveness is also a very hard boundary where we don't have a continue, like a, a continued or current relationship. Now that doesn't mean that I'm totally um, closed to that possibly happening in the future, but I know that that isn't, you know, he hasn't made the effort to do that. And I'm okay with that now, whereas I wasn't before. And it was me still reaching out. I'm the one reaching out. I'm the one trying to open up the relationship. And it was like, I'm the child. I'm, I'm you know, his son. I'm the, like, why am I leading this? And, um, and so for me, it was really liberating to finally say, you know what, like, it's my opinion that matters, not yours. And I'm proud of what I've done. You know what I mean? So I know that was a really long-winded way of answering that. It's a great way of answering that. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you touched upon the fact that you are the child, right? You're the child and he's the father and, and something that, um, a friend of mine learned in therapy and was explaining to me uh, based off of her own experiences. And I draw a lot of parallels of things that my friends have learned in therapy, which is funny, um, but it's been a great tool. And my friend was sharing with me that she learned in therapy that you are always the child and your parent is always the parent. And no matter how old you get, that is always the relationship. And you as the child are always in the position where your parent is responsible for their actions. Mm -hmm. um, and their decisions and the way that the relationship works and you as a, a child can make mistakes and you can do things that um, you, you know you can push your parents away in some capacity if that's the situation at hand but at the end of the day you are always the child and your parent is always the parent and in a situation mm -hmm. where the parent has done something wrong it is always their responsibility um, to take responsibility for it right mm -hmm. um, and so I just thought that that was interesting and it reminded me of you know, what you were just talking about. So before we wrap up today, I want to know what are you most proud of at this moment? And what would you say to someone who is struggling today, whether it be with their mental health, whether it be with domestic violence, and what do you think, you know, where does their hope lie? Um, good question. Uh, so actually just hold on one second. This is like a, I'm letting, I have another meeting, but I want to tell them I'm running late too. Um, oh, sorry. I want, I, no, no, no. I, I want to, um, be able to. I'm sorry about that one second. No, don't be sorry at all. I've, I've held you for so long now. No, 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 no. This is great. Um, Lindsay and... Okay. So uh, what am I most proud of? I am, regardless uh, to take career and anything that out of it, I am most proud to finally be in a 
loving, healthy relationship, which I have lacked for many, many years. I don't think I've really ever experienced a healthy relationship given where I was mentally and also what I was attracting and things that I gravitated towards was people with drama. <laughs> and so, and, and, and how much fun is it to consume yourself with someone else's drama? So on, on one hand, you're, you're getting to leave yours, but then you're getting sucked into someone else's web. So to finally be in a place where discussion and communication is open, where you feel safe, where, you know, um, where you both can be in therapy and talk about it, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm proud of that. And I'm really proud of the relationships that I've been able to cultivate. You know, my best friend, Erica from high school is still my best friend. Um, you know, so many of my friends I've had for 20 plus years and I feel really proud to be in a position to, to, nurture those relationships and to give time to, to people. And um, yeah, those are, that's like I, what I would say would be like the biggest thing. I mean, having a relationship with my mom that we've been able to work through um, so much of that past uh, trauma and abuse and to be at a place where we can talk about things without it causing uh, an argument um means a lot to me uh and the second question is a little bit harder because you know my personal band-aid of a remedy when i was in high school was all right don't be home like get out and i just wanted to quickly share since we're on this topic you know uh another article published in the uh, U.S. National Library of Medicine said that in the United States, as of April 18th, 2020, there were 690,714 reported cases of domestic violence, um, resulting in 35,000 deaths. So I feel like, you know, I mean, I guess as a, as a population of what, 300 million, you know, that's a small number, but it's not so small, right? And I feel like um, it, it's good to, to just call our attention to how problematic and how much things have spiked because of COVID and because, you know, the nuclear family is now all at home and what that means, what it, what COVID, how it has impacted people's um, financial health and then how financial health causes uh, friction and, and um, possibly violence even. Um, so it's, it's more difficult to address things in the world we live in now because I, I can't say, you know, involve yourself in activities outside the home. But what I can say is that I've always been a dreamer uh, by nature. And if you can find something 
outside of yourself, something bigger than yourself, something that excites you, something that you're passionate about, even if you don't know how you fit into that or know on a larger scale, like if you love music, doesn't mean you need to be a musician, but if you love something, you know, enjoy that and hold on to that and and dream with it and and don't be afraid to dream so maybe you can make that that next step to saying i want to make music or i want to write music or i want to whatever that thing is i would say to dream about it allow yourself to dream about it allow yourself that you can attain something and to not let anyone stop you from that dream to uh, discourage you from having that dream. Um, because I know, for instance, me as a younger person, I didn't know I necessarily wanted to be an actor. I knew I liked performing, but my dream was just, I want to be educated. I want to be better than my parents. So my dream was, I'm, I'm going to make sure I go to school. And that's why I focused my energy on school. And that's why I wanted to go, because I knew I wanted to get out of that house. I knew I wanted to go to college. So it doesn't even have to be what your career dream is. I'm just saying from the, if you're experiencing domestic violence now, to think about what immediate dreams you have and to really just go for it. Because um, ultimately, I think that you save yourself. Um and the correct response is to extricate yourself from an abusive or toxic relationship, right? But that might not be easy at 16. That might mean destroying the nuclear family. That might have other ramifications um, around whether the you know, person who's abusing has the financial power or, you know, so it, it, because everyone's situation is so complicated, so nuanced, um, there isn't just one straight answer, but I do think that ultimately we have the power to, to change our situation. I couldn't put it better myself. That was <laughs> A phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal response. And okay. on that note, on that note, I'll let us close out because what a perfect note to end on. So thank you so much. Thank this you is so much, Juliet. Here with Nick Matthews. Always this a pleasure. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Have a great day.